With Lucky Landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Alexander Bennett, and I want to welcome the callers and chatters, and a special welcome to all of the DNA cousins to research at the National Archives and beyond. This show will provide individuals interested in genealogy an opportunity to listen, learn, and take action. If you have logged in as a guest, and I see a lot of guests in the line, Please, if you want to participate in the chat, you can sign in through your Facebook account or Blog Talk Radio. I will also open the lines in the second half of the show so that you can ask questions or make a comment. Following the show, you can continue this discussion on the Genealogy and History Forum of Afrogenius.com and research at the National Archives and Beyond Facebook page. In fact, if you haven't done so, please like both pages. So you have tested and received your autosomal DNA results and don't know what to do with them? Are you just plain old confused? Well, my guests today will help answer your burning questions. They do not represent any of the DNA testing companies and will provide an unbiased overview to help you understand how to take your test results to the next level. Now, I want to remind everyone that last year, Dr. Joanna Mountain was a guest on our show, and in August, we had Cece Moore and Shannon Christmas. Now, they are back, and I'm so glad that they're back today, and we're calling this the part two of the, the show. Cece and Shannon will discuss strategies for using and understanding autosomal DNA to resolve your genealogical problems. Now, Cece Moore, we all know Cece, she is a professional genetic genealogist and writes the popular blog, Your Genetic Genealogist. 
Shannon, Christmas is an experienced genealogist specializing in genetic, colonial American, and African American genealogy in Virginia and the Carolinas. So I'd like to give a warm welcome to Cece Moore and Shannon Christmas to research at the National Archives and Beyond. Welcome, Cece and Shannon. Hello, Bernice. Thanks for having us. Well, thanks yeah, so for coming good. back on. Yes, I'm so happy to have both of you on. This is just such a burning topic for everyone. So let's just start off with, with just something about DNA. Now, some people are testing their DNA before understanding their family tree. In your opinion, what should come first? Well, quite frankly, DNA testing is a great tool for understanding uh, your pedigree. But if you have not already begun research into your family tree, then DNA testing may be a bit premature. If you are looking to learn as much as you can about your genealogy, you really should start with researching the traditional way. And then once you hit a bump in the road or find a mystery or a wrinkle that you want to iron out, then you should pursue DNA testing. That's my opinion, obviously. I, I come at it from a little different perspective since I work with adoptees a lot and a lot of people who don't know who their biological father is. So I, I also like to approach it from that direction. So if you test first, sometimes it will give you ideas or avenues to look into that you might not have found from the paper records. So I'm not saying that I disagree to do genealogy first. I think that's terrific, but I don't think you absolutely have to. I think you could do a DNA test and learn quite a bit about yourself just right from the outset, and then you could also go uh, that direction where you take the test and then go into your genealogy, and hopefully what you find in the paper records uh, will fit right with what you're finding in your DNA. Right. Well, we already have a question coming out. Uh, don't you think that it may be important for the elderly to get it done, that is the DNA test, that may not have done, even though there has not been a whole lot of research? I absolutely think so. Uh, that's a great um, example of when DNA testing first might make sense because yes, you may not I, have the I chance to test people. Yes, yes. And Shannon, what did you just say? I said yes, I would agree in, in that instance that uh, the elderly should probably uh, get tested as soon as possible uh, if that is the route that they wish to pursue in terms of researching their genealogy with the help of DNA testing. Yes, yes. Well, let's just take a step back. And just so that if we have some new people on and they've tested, they don't quite understand what tests they've taken, let's talk about all of the tests with the uh, maternal DNA, Y-DNA, autosomal. I mean, just help us understand what these various test results would mean for your family tree. Sh Shannon? Yes. Well, mitochondrial DNA is what each person inherits from their mother's, 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 mother's mother. 
So it is only inherited through the maternal line. So it is good for potentially identifying uh, maternal ancestors that are on that line of mother's 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 mother. Uh, Y chromosome DNA is the paternal counterpart to that. So this is the DNA that only males receive from their father's 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 father. That has been especially useful for tracing surnames because surnames are usually associated with a specific uh, Y chromosome DNA signature. So if you are looking to uh, discover the origins of uh, your father's surname, then this would be the test uh, to try. Uh, in terms of autosomal DNA, that is the DNA that you find on chromosomes 1 through 22. That type of DNA can come from any ancestor uh, that you have in your family tree. Uh, typically, the test companies say that it is within five generations that you will find the most recent common ancestor uh, with any of your matches using autosomal DNA. Uh, but as I and many other genetic genealogists have discovered, the actual common ancestors or the uh, point of origin for some of these DNA segments is much further back than five generations. Uh, in addition to that, looking at ultrasomal DNA allows uh, the companies to do biogeographical analysis. So that is the type of analysis where you can get a sense of the different components of your DNA from a geographic standpoint. So this is the test where you get the percentages of African DNA and European DNA and Asian DNA. Uh, and more and more the companies are beginning to break that down into specific uh, countries and in some cases specific tribes. Uh, so that pretty much gives you a broad overview of what you get when you test mitochondrial DNA, Y chromosome DNA, and autosomal DNA. Now, there's a comment coming out of the chat, and that comment states, with the autosomal DNA results, for genealogists hoping to connect with others, how reasonable is it to try to connect when the predicted relationship is forth to distant? Many researchers just do not have that much data. As I always tell my audiences when I do presentations that it's totally dependent on how much time you have to invest in this. If you're a full-time genealogist uh, or retired and you want to look at all of those matches, then I encourage you to do so. If you have very limited time, I think uh, focusing on the closer matches is better. But I also always recommend looking for low-hanging fruit. And by that, I mean somebody who has a surname listed that may be in your tree or maybe one that is speculative in your tree, certainly, uh, certain geographic regions that you're looking to focus your research, I would look for those in my list. And all three of the companies now have filters where you can just pull up those matches. So my recommendation uh, is 
so definitely look through them and see if there's something of interest or maybe a specific haplogroup group that you might uh, find interesting. But it takes so much time if you were to go and research each and every one of those that I don't think most of us have time to do that. Right. So let's talk a little bit about the chromosome. Just so that people, we, we're trying to put everybody in the same vocabulary. Uh, what is a chromosome? What is a SNP? And what is a segment size? Okay, so a SNP is a genetic marker for our purposes. They're looking at one specific spot on your genome and comparing it to other people's. Now, when they when they call a match, what they've looked at is a whole uh, long segment, meaning a whole bunch of SNPs all in a row match somebody else's SNPs all in a row. So that's a segment. And if they determine that you have a long enough segment in common with someone else in the database, that's when they call a match. Depending how long that segment is and or how many you have in common is how they decide how closely that, uh, to predict that relationship. Although we have to remember that autosomal DNA inheritance is random when you get past second cousin especially. So some of these people who are predicted fourth to distant might actually be closer, a little bit, maybe third cousin. Uh, some third cousins won't even match you. So uh, it's not those predictions, you can't go by them 100% once you get past second cousin. Second, out to second cousin is pretty good, pretty consistent. But beyond that, uh, you've got to keep an open mind. So, uh, again, I'm going to be going back and forth with questions. So do chromosomes, okay, if there's a tiny dot on a chromosome, let's say number 17, does it mean anything uh, or any less or does it matter what chromosome that dot hits as far as determining uh, whether that person is a cousin, a close cousin, a distant cousin? I always look at these matching segments as indicators of possible relationships because that's what they are. You actually have to compare trees and communicate with the match in order to determine how closely you are actually related. Because as CC mentioned, autosomal DNA inheritance is actually quite random after you get beyond second cousin. So there are cases where I've observed third cousins who only share a single six centimorgan DNA segment, and that is considered to be quite small. Uh, there was another case where I saw a pair of third cousins once removed who shared only a single uh, five centimorgan DNA segment. Uh, but regardless of the segment size, the relationship is what it is, and you can only determine that by comparing family trees. Okay. And and so there's another question, and you just may have already answered this, but from a DNA perspective, what is the difference between a first cousin, four times removed, and a fifth cousin? So with each removal of a relationship, the expected DNA has. So a first cousin would share about 12.5% with you. Now that's an average so each removal would have that. So four times remove that. So first cousin and half is about 6.25. So two, two times removed is about 3.125. Uh, 
four times, let's see, three times removed is about 1.563. So four times removed would be uh, less than 1%. And a fifth cousin would also be around less than 1%. So they come out to be fairly similar in what you would expect to see. Um, and we didn't, I don't think we really answered the question about the chromosomes. A tiny dot on chromosome number 17 doesn't mean anything different than a tiny dot on chromosome 1. Now, that's not to say that those tiny dots don't have some genes within them that might be significant of something, a certain trait or a disease risk. But as far as we know, for genealogy purposes and predicting relationships, a segment on chromosome 17 versus 1 or 22 or 6 it doesn't mean anything different. Now, I'm not totally sure that we won't discover in the future that there is some meaning behind those uh, specific locations, but not at this point. But not at this point. However, if you have someone and they have tiny dots on, let's say, 1, 5, 17, and 18, are we looking at perhaps different uh, individuals uh, who may be matching them, or could that be the same person? There's no way to know that at this point unless you've mapped your chromosomes to specific ancestors. So those could all come from the same common ancestor, or they could all come from different common ancestors, or two could come from one and two could come from another. Okay. Okay, so the next question, and this is from someone who wrote, I have tested and don't know how to interpret my results. Please walk me through a simple strategy to understand what I've just received from Ancestry, Family Tree DNA, and 23andMe. Let's start with Ancestry. What do we have? Well, with Ancestry DNA, it is fairly simple. Uh, their interface quite clear what is provided. They provide you with a biogeographical analysis, and that is called an Ancestry DNA genetic ethnicity estimate, which gives you a breakdown of your admixture. Uh, they give you percentages that reflect what their algorithms have picked up in terms of how much uh, West African DNA you have, how much uh, Western European DNA or East Asian, just for example. Beyond that, you get a list of matches that share a DNA segment, at least one DNA segment with you. Uh, that should be 5 million base pairs or more. Uh, they have family trees associated with each match. And that pretty much is the long and the short of it. You have to go through the process of reviewing the trees of each match and seeing if you can locate a common ancestor or several common ancestors. I know that in my own experience, I often find multiple shared ancestral lines, uh, which creates a bit of an issue because ancestry DNA does not provide any kind of analytic tools. So I cannot determine uh, through which line I inherited our shared DNA from, with each match. So that is ancestry DNA 
in a nutshell, there are there are third-party tools available for getting a little bit more out of the Ancestry DNA results. Uh, that requires downloading your Ancestry DNA raw data and uploading that raw data onto, uh, say, gedmatch.com, or as some people call it, gedmatch.com, where you can begin to actually see the shared DNA segments with your matches, assuming that they also upload their data to GEDmatch. They also have additional uh, admixture calculators where you can get a second opinion and a third opinion and a fourth opinion and so on on your admixture breakdown. So that is probably the best way to interpret your ancestry DNA results at this time, uh, given uh, the very simplistic output of the results there. Okay. So what about family tree? Oh, you had more to say, Stacey? Yeah, ancestry DNA, I am in love with their filters. Um, So I would always recommend uh, entering some of your surnames, and like I said before, speculative surnames in particular, some of those maiden names that we're not sure about, and see what hits come up or certain regional um, areas in that. I also like to just go through my matches or the person I'm working on looking for patterns. And it takes a long time that I review the trees and I start noticing certain surnames or certain areas over and over. And then I like to go back and enter those into the filters. Okay. Yes. A a word about the search for patterns is you do have to be somewhat cautious and be a very critical thinker about the patterns that you see because... I have noticed with my own results, I will see in some cases the same uh, ancestors in the various matches, trees, over and over again. And I know in many cases people will see that and uh, without doing any deeper analysis, conclude that those ancestors are probably their ancestors as well. And I have been through that trip a few times where I've uh, seen a pattern and hypothesized that, oh, perhaps this ancestral line is also my ancestral line. And then once I get those matches who share that uh, ancestral couple and I get them onto uh, match to see the matching segments, it becomes clear that that hypothesis is not true. So I've proven that it is not true because, sure, all of these people have the same ancestor, but some of them match me on my maternal side and some of them match me on my paternal side. So the common ancestor is someone else entirely. Uh, So that's why it's very good to get onto JetMatch and get into testing the hypotheses that may come out of the patterns that you see on Ancestry DNA. Yeah, I mean, I would always recommend testing it and researching it more. It's just a guideline of what to look for. Uh, also, you have to really look at their trees. I try to click through to their full trees when I find something of interest like that. 
because sometimes you can see that they've copied it wrong or there's a lot of people who have all copied the wrong info who are showing up in your matches. So that would obviously be a problem um, when the mother is born after the child. So I've actually come across some of that. So you always have to be cautious for, for sure. But I have found some very interesting patterns looking at that way um, as well. And I wanted to go back to a question earlier that I didn't answer perfectly, and that was the first cousin four times removed versus the fifth cousin. Um, sure. I confused myself doing all of those calculations, but now that I've had time to look at it, actually a first cousin four times removed is equal to a third cousin in DNA. So that's closer than a fifth cousin, and it's a much better match. You would expect to see 0.781% on average, whereas with a fifth cousin, you would only expect to see 0.049%. So a first cousin four times removed, you still have a 90% chance or so of matching them. I just wanted to clarify that since I was, my answer was not um, Okay, totally thank you. Thank you so much for the clarification. So let's go back to uh, uh, a simple strategy to understand what you have received with your results. Now, you all just spoke of uh, ancestry. Let's talk about family tree DNA. Okay, well, first of all, you always want to look at that low-hanging fruit, like I said, which is any surname. You can put them in the filter and see if there's anything of interest there, um, and definitely the closer matches. A lot of them will have um, GEDCOMs attached. I've noticed more and more, I think, since they've been offering that coupon. If you upload your GEDCOM, you get $10 off your next test. And that has helped. I'm seeing more and more of those. So I like to open all of those up, look through them, again, looking for patterns or looking for surnames from my tree. Um, and the more distant matches, the ones all the way at the end of your list, are definitely going to be more speculative. Some of those that only share, say, eight centimorgan may not be uh, authentic matches, so I wouldn't spend as much time on those. However, I do like to go to GEDmatch, I'm sorry, GEDcom.com, DNAGEDcom.com, and download all of the matching segments from the chromosome browser. And I think we've talked about that in the past uh, on this show and others. It's somewhat complex, but it's the best way to look for overlapping segments. So you download all of those at dnajedcom.com. You sort them so they're all in order. You look for segments that are overlapping, and then you check the triangulation method to see who matches who. And if you find a group of people that all match each other and match you on the same segment, you know that you share a common ancestral line. So that's the best way to look at your distant matches there, in my opinion. Okay, but let's go back to uh, family tree DNA and the actual um, display of your results. And I've noticed that they actually have a new display. Uh, they've rolled out a new way of displaying the results. But w what can you tell us about that, that new way that they display their results? Well, I'm certainly a fan of the new way that they're displaying it. I think it's much easier to work with. But like anything with change, it takes a little getting used to. And make sure any time that you are using the filters, that you click on apply, that's something that's been really hanging a lot of people up, 
is they're not clicking on that because we didn't used to have to do that and it would right. load. So that is one thing I caution. Also up at the top, if you wanted to see all of the segment data, the chromosome browser option, the triangulation, it used to say advanced view. And now I believe it says uh, something like show all. Shannon, have you worked with it yet? I think it says that it's, it's changed the wording there. But it's in the same location. So it's like show all information or something like that up in the corner. Yes. So I would always click on that in order to see all of the important information that we need to work with. Right. I would so, absolutely agree. So there's a question coming out, and it, it basically states, because of the lower threshold of CMs on Ancestry DNA and 23andMe, you may not have matches that won't show as a match on Family Tree DNA. Is that correct? Um, I'm sorry, I don't think I totally understood. So, yeah. at, okay, at 23andMe, it's seven centimorgans and 500 SNPs is the threshold for them to appear in DNA relatives. On Ancestry Finder, or now called Countries of Ancestry, it's five centimorgans. And if you just randomly share with someone because you are research partners or you share a surname and you find them through the search method, if you share five centimorgans, they will show up in your DNA relatives list after sharing. Um, and at Family Tree DNA, it's closer to 7.7 centimorgans. But there aren't going to be very many matches, I think, that fall between the 7 centimorgan and the 7.7. So I don't think there's a lot that wouldn't show up at Family Tree DNA. Um, the difference, I think, is that Family Tree DNA also requires a total number of centimorgans. I think it might be 20. So in addition to the 7.7, you have to share more little pieces of DNA, and those can be as small as one centimorgan. And that seems to really affect the African-American testers uh, because for some reason, I think Shannon can talk to this more, they may share a segment long enough, but they don't share those little segments in common as well. Um, Shannon, can you talk about that a little? Because I know you're more familiar with that than I am. Yes. Uh, essentially, Family Tree DNA's Family Finder product requires, as CC mentioned, uh, a lot of smaller segments that are reflective of being a part of the same population. And since African Americans tend to have ancestry from multiple populations, it's less likely that they are going to share a, a tiny segment with someone that is reflective of a single population because there are just so many different populations in the mix uh, for many African Americans that it's uh, less likely to happen. So while they share a single identical by descent uh, DNA segment of significant size, if they don't share that smaller segment, they're not going to show up as a match which makes Family Finder a less efficient product, I'll say, for African-Americans and people of African descent generally. And then at Ancestry DNA, they are looking at megabase pairs, which is different than centimorgans. So right. it's really apples to oranges, what might show up and what might not, because five 
megabase pairs versus five centimorgans or seven centimorgans is very variable, very variable. Um, I wrote about it on my blog once, and I showed how five centimorgans could be anywhere down to like two megabase pairs and all the way up to like 30. I don't remember the exact numbers. So there may be some that show up in ancestry DNA that don't show up elsewhere, uh, but that could also be true in the reverse. There might be something that shows up at 23andMe or family tree DNA that doesn't show up there. And they told right. me that they do plan to switch to Centimorgan, so that'll probably change in the future. But because they phase before they match, they should be able to go down to a lower threshold, maybe three centimorgans or thereabouts, because they have more, um, if you have correct phasing, you will have authentic matches. You won't have these ones that are called pseudo-segments, where it's being stitched together from part of mom's chromosome and part of dad's. So we'll have to see what happens there. But at this point, I think it's possible that there could be matches that show up at any of the companies that don't show up at the others. Oh, okay. Well, let's talk about, we've talked about ancestry. We've talked about family tree DNA. So let's let's just discuss what you're getting with 23andMe. Yes, 23andMe is uh, a very unique product because uh, in addition to the autosomal DNA analysis that they provide, they also provide uh, mitochondrial DNA haplogroups and uh, Y chromosome DNA haplogroups, which can provide some additional information for those who need it. Uh, generally, with uh, 23andMe, I recommend uh, sending out as many invitations to matches as possible. Uh, and that may be uh, more useful for people with shorter match lists than people with longer match lists. As Cece mentioned before, uh, it all depends on what you are looking to find and how much time you have to find it. Uh, so the first step is really to send out those invitations as quickly as possible. Um, I typically advise people to do them in one sitting uh, if they can, if they have the time and to personalize those invitations to each of their matches so that uh, they can get as much information as quickly as possible. Uh, at a certain point, you will get a critical mass of matches who are sharing genomes with you, and that is crucial, that you share genomes with each of your matches. And that, that really should say compare genomes because you're looking to see what your matching DNA segments are. Uh, once you reach that critical mass of uh, shares, if you will, you should probably sign up for DNA JetCom, which was already discussed with Family Tree DNA's Family Finder. And from there, you can get a list of each of your shares and exactly what DNA segments you are sharing with them in a spreadsheet form. Uh, that spreadsheet is critical for mapping your chromosomes, for understanding which segments came from which ancestors. So once you have this spreadsheet, you want to get it into Microsoft Excel 
and you want to sort by chromosome and then sort by the start point of each matching segment and then sort again by chromosome. And then at that point you will have a spreadsheet which you can use to identify clusters of matches. These are matches that appear to be matching on the same uh, segment. If they're matching on the same segment, you then want to compare those individuals in 23andMe's Family Inheritance Advanced. There you can see whether those individuals who appear to match on the same segment actually are matching on the same segment. If they are matching on the same segment, then that indicates that you all inherited this DNA segment from the same common ancestor. At that point, you want to begin comparing family trees with those matches to identify commonalities or precisely a common ancestral line. Uh, at that point, you can begin to identify the common ancestor from whom you and your cluster of matches inherited your shared DNA. I know that's a lot to unpack, but hopefully <laughs> people can digest that. <laughs> well, Shannon, I want to take you back a few steps because there's a question when you said send out invitations. The question is, do you send out invitations to the distant relatives, distant cousins? I mean, you said send to everyone. That is my approach. It is not for everyone, uh, especially if you don't want to spend your evenings falling asleep at your laptop sending out invitations every night. But uh, I do advise that people begin to send invitations to the highest matches first and go down the list. Now, depending on your goals, you may just want to focus on one particular line. So in that case, you would want to use 23andMe's uh, DNA relatives filters to look for specific surnames, specific locations, and perhaps just send invitations to those matches that you feel would give you the information you need for your specific project or your specific question. Uh, that obviously is totally up to you. I am an extreme ancestry person, so I send invitations to every single match that comes in. Uh, and another thing about invitations and matches is that if you have more than 1,000 matches, then you really do need to send out invitations to each match because 23andMe has a DNA relatives, which means you can only have 1,000 matches in your DNA relatives at any given time unless you send out invitations to each match. Okay. Yes, I want to add that I also send out invitations to everyone, although I don't have time to keep up with my correspondence as a result. 
all those bits come in. But if you're going to work with spreadsheets, you really want to get all of the segments you possibly can on it because as I just typed in the chat here, you never know where the key to that brick wall is. It could be a very small match. And if you don't send it to them, they'll never find out. So it is a lot of work. Autosomal DNA is absolutely a ton of work. If anyone tells you it's easy, they're lying. Like I said that before, I'll say it again. Uh, if you're really committed to it and you've done all of the paper genealogy research that you can do and you're stuck at a brick wall, this may be your only avenue of breaking through it. And, and for that, I mean, I think we're all uh, sort of obsessive compulsiveness. We're genealogists and we've spent uh, hundreds or thousands of hours researching some of these lines. So uh, it may be worth it for us to put that kind of time into the autosomal DNA research because those are your relatives. Those are your cousins. So the the old saying, DNA does not lie, (laughs) is that (laughs) true? (laughs) Yes. That is true. Now, that's not to say that some at the end of your list won't be identical by state, which uh, means they're not authentic matches that you could actually find a common ancestor with, or that's not to say that some of those smaller ones might not be what I said before, pseudo-segments, meaning they're not um, even real matches, meaning they've stitched together uh, SNPs from each side of your chromosome pairs, so a little from mom, a little from dad, so that makes it look like it's a match when there isn't. But you can't, you know, if you ignore the false positives, you're also ignoring the the good treasures there in the weeds, we say. You know, if you get down in the weeds there, some of those aren't going to be useful to you, but some are. Some of, And that's one thing the Ancestry DNA has told me, is they've chosen to go so low with their threshold because they have found that there's some really good, valuable matches down that low. And if you don't want to have any false positives, uh, that means you're also going to cut off a lot of those real matches that are down there at the bottom, at the lower end. Right. Well, another question that's coming out, is there a recommended minimum of percentage DNA and segments shared? For example, 0.20%. Beg your pardon? So is the question that we would send invitations to? If so, no. I don't think that there is a minimum a standard minimum for us. Now, Shannon may have a minimum, I may have a minimum, you may have one, and they're all different. Uh, but I think right. whatever shows up on our list, we send it to. If the question is, is there a standard minimum that meets the threshold, yes, and it's based on that 7 centimorgan, or that 7.7 centimorgan plus 20 total, or that 5 megabase pairs at ancestry DNA. So it's not right. really set on the page, but on the... Um, Right. Well, we have a really interesting question coming out here. Okay. This, uh, (laughs) Danya has pointed out that she received her mother's DNA results, and it's like she's an Eve. You know, it's like she's related to everyone. How do you work with somebody like that? (laughs) (laughs) That's right, Danya. (laughs) Well, that's really true. Ashkenazi Jewish people, they'll be related to all other Ashkenazi Jewish people, uh, which is part of the reason that 23andMe has that thousand match limit, because if they didn't, some of these people would have 10,000 matches or so. Um, And that is very, very difficult to work with. If you're 
from a smaller gene pool like that or your, one of your relatives is or one of your clients, anyone that you're working with, you are going to have quite a challenge because they could be related um, many times over and to both sides, both their maternal and paternal sides. So it's a, it's a very different, difficult question. And I think with somebody like Donna's mother, um, you have to look at the closer matches. I think in that case, looking at the distant matches is probably, you're going to be spinning your wheels and probably a waste of your time. Right. What do you think, Shannon? I, I would agree. Um, it really does depend, like we mentioned earlier, how much time you want to put into this and exactly what you are looking to get out of it. Uh, so uh, with any number of matches, it's the same story. Uh, so best of luck. <laughs> well, with that, we're going to take just a quick and be right back. This is your host, Bernice Alexander Bennett, and you can join me generally every Thursday at 9 p.m. Eastern Time, where I will have an expert to share resources, stories, and answer your burning genealogy questions. Now, remember, all of my guests share a deep passion and knowledge of genealogy and history. Also, all of my shows are available as a podcast immediately after the broadcast and can be downloaded from Blog Talk Radio or from iTunes. Now, we have been listening to Shannon Christmas and Cece Moore as they have shared with us all kinds of strategies for understanding our DNA results that come from three companies, Ancestry DNA, Family Tree DNA, and 23andMe. Now, I've opened the phone lines for questions, and if you would like to ask a question or make a comment, please call 646-200-0491 and press 1 to speak to the host. When you call, I will call out your area code, and you will be live on the show. Just turn down your computer so that when you speak, we don't have uh, feedback. Okay, so we are back to some questions. And uh, one of the questions is some of us have noticed that ads are on the television on 23andMe with a heavy emphasis on the health component of their product. Are they shifting away from the ancestry component? So 23andMe, oh, 
Shannon, did you want to jump this? Oh, oh well, okay. yeah, I'm going to go oh, ahead. Sure. And, and then Shannon can say, you know, they did a lot of market I'm, research. They want to get to 1 million people, 1 million people in the database. They wanted to do it by the end of this year. And in preparation for the television ads and other marketing, they did market research, and their findings showed that most people were interested in testing for health purposes. So that's who they're reaching out to. Now, that's not to say they're not interested in us. They are. But right now their focus is on marketing and growing the database. And because that's what their research showed, <laughs> for better or for worse, I don't know if I agree with it, but that's what they found, that's where they're putting their focus at the moment. And since Sandwich Kiki, the owner, CEO, uh, comes from the health side, that is certainly has, was her motivation for starting the company. And I don't think that she realized how interesting and how um, invested we would all be in the ancestry side. So I don't think there's any denying that health is their main focus, but that's not to say that they won't also deliver uh, valuable ancestry features to us in the future. Okay, and Shannon? I would agree, uh, as was quoted in some of the recent articles in Fast Company magazine. Uh, the company, 23andMe, is very much targeting their product to uh, consumers with a control-oriented mindset, as was stated in one of the articles. Uh, so they're going to focus on health because that's uh, a feature that many people want to control in their lives. That said, I have noticed that uh, even with the question as it's worded, uh, that there is somewhat of a concern of health versus ancestry. And I've always seen that not only uh, among prospective consumers, but actually in the 23andMe community, that there is some kind of false dichotomy about health versus ancestry. When you're talking about DNA, you really can't separate one from the other. Uh, because you're looking at genetic markers that you inherited from ancestors. Uh, so I just want people to keep that in mind, that in researching your family history, you are also uh, coming across data that can reflect your own personal uh, family medical history. Uh, so just keep that in mind when you're trying to look at ways to uh, use the genetic data to uh, find ways to improve your health, some of this ancestry information can be quite helpful toward that goal as well. Right. Yeah, and right. building on what Shannon just said, I think we see it as an either-or, health versus ancestry, but it's becoming more and more and more the same thing. So what I mean is... Uh, Ancestry is now becoming important for the health researchers. They're realizing how valuable our genealogies are for that research. And while we're doing our genealogy, like Shannon said, we may learn things about our health and our families. And I was able to trace a trait in my family um, that was thought to be from one set of ancestors, and I've traced it further back to common ancestors, two steps further back than that on another line. So they are becoming more and more intertwined, and the more we learn about the health side of it, will benefit ancestry and vice versa. 
Well, there's this, yes. Well, there's some confusion about where the actual help information is coming from. So the question that's being posted states, isn't the health information gathered from surveys and not from the DNA samples? Well, if you're talking about if you're talking about uh, the health reports, they actually reflect what is in your DNA and what has been uh, studied in the genetic uh, realm uh, for health reasons. Uh, so basically, the health reports show associations between certain gene variants and certain uh, illnesses, traits, et cetera. Uh, but some of those, uh, what they call preliminary reports, are also fueled by uh, data that was gathered from uh, surveys recently uh, by 23andMe. So they combine the, the survey data with some of the gene variances and then I guess with the literature then come up with some type of summarization to say these are things that you may be predisposed of. But then again, they also include various markers for certain uh, disease states, don't they? Right. So if you just do your DNA test and you don't do any of the surveys, it's not really helpful for them. But what can happen is from other people who've done surveys, they may identify certain variants, and then they look at the whole database to see if anyone else in the database has those variants. And if they determine that you do, or one of your family members, they may send you a survey, or they may say, can you be part of this study? So they might reach out to you even if you haven't filled out the surveys because it's something they've identified. So people worry about, you know, uh, they think that 23andMe is just going to, use your DNA for medical research, well, it's not valuable to them, like I said, unless you've provided information. And what uh, Bernice just said about the reports, those reports are based on studies and research that has already occurred and has gone on, you know, in the past, and that they've already determined that certain variants are medically relevant. So you'll see those identified in your reports if you have any of those. That's not to say there isn't ongoing research on those, but those They'll show you confidence levels based on how many stars it has. It's how sure they are that there's a link between that particular gene or those genes and that medical condition. Right. So there's another question. It relates to health. You know, sometimes when people request that you share, you share your genome, uh, others may want to see your complete health. Uh, level. The question is, aren't you sharing personal information, and what do both of you think about sharing your complete health as well as your ancestry uh, information? Well, to be clear, even when you select to share with health reports with someone, there are certain reports that are locked. Uh, because the association with a specific illness is so strong that it's uh, just too uh, too close of an association, if you will. So you don't share all of your health reports with any individual person. 
uh, when you decide to share with health reports. Uh, generally, if you are researching for genealogy information, there may not really be a need to share with health reports. Uh, I do see a lot more people requesting to share with health reports, but it's more out of curiosity. They want to see what are they going to see if they share with someone at that level. Uh, and I think that's a very personal decision for someone to make, whether they want to share their health reports with anyone on the site. Uh, that's my take on it. Yeah, I agree. Uh, I don't see any reason to share your health reports um, unless it's a specific situation such as mine with that trait that I mentioned, which was the thalassemia trait. Uh, I actually got lucky that one of my matches shared his health report with me. I didn't ask him to. He just did it, and that's how I came upon that discovery that he shared the trait, and then I was able to look and see if he had the exact same mutation that my family has, um, not my immediate family, but my extended family. And then we compared our genealogies. So sometimes it is helpful, but the vast majority of time I would not say to share it. Um, if you don't mind, if somebody knows any health risks you might have, then there's no, nothing to fear. Like, I'm not concerned about sharing mine. I would share it with anybody, but I wouldn't share my family's with anybody because that's not my place to do that. Right. Now, there's another question, which is very interesting. But how do you respond to those that you try to share with when they say things like, I don't have anyone with those surnames, or my family never lived in your area? I would try to get the match to understand that, uh, one, you probably have not listed all of your ancestral surnames in your profile on 23andMe or on Family Finder. I would also let them know that you know, all of the information that you do have is not on the web, most people don't have all of their information on the web, that the common ancestor might be behind a brick wall, uh, that there might have been some migration or uh, visit to a specific area that resulted in their connection. Uh, there are a host of reasons why someone might match someone else, even though on the surface you don't appear to share anything in common. Okay. Okay, so let's go. We have another question, and it, it's more related to just what should you share? Because we have individuals, they appear anonymous. They never share. <laughs> they don't share their name. So at what point should someone start you know, identify who they are. Oh, I think well, they should identify who they are right from the outset. In fact, I've gotten to the point where I ignore uh, matches who stay anonymous or decline to share genome. I just don't have time. I have way too many other matches that I can work with who are open and willing to do so. So um, I think the bigger the databases get and the more people we have and the closer matches to work with, um, those that are unwilling to share are going to get lost in the shuffle. That's just my take on it. 
and I think Shannon was going to say something. So. Right. I completely agree. Yeah. I think that when it comes down to what it is you need to share, you must share genomes and you must share pedigrees, uh, regardless of how little of a pedigree you have, because I do hear from some people who say, oh, well, I only know my grandparents. That, in many cases, has been enough for me to identify a common ancestor because I just take their pedigree and start researching their grandparents' ancestors on my own. And then I report back to them how we are related. Uh, so more information is better. Uh, I don't quite understand uh, why some people are so afraid to reveal their identities and uh, why so many people are afraid of contact altogether. There was one case on ancestry DNA where someone literally <laughs> had a conniption over uh, one of their matches contacting them. Uh, so there's another issue of just contact being made between these matches. I don't quite understand why you test, especially at Ancestry DNA, if you don't want to have any contact with your genetic relatives, since that's pretty much all Ancestry DNA provides you in the way of genealogical research. Uh, so yes, to make a long story short, you ought to share pedigrees, you ought to share genomes, and you ought to share whatever extraneous information you have about your family's history in order to identify your common ancestors. And just as a caveat here, it's hard. Um, I've always shared, you know, everything that I could. And now when I'm working for some of these television shows and I'm working from celebrity accounts, uh, it's hard because I want to share everything and I can't oftentimes. And so I'm on the other side of the coin now. So that's, you know, and I even see some people I know who match with these people and I see adoptees searching for family who match with these people, but I can't um, just share who they are and share their full pedigrees automatically. So sometimes in, you know, limited cases, there is a reason behind it. And now being on that side of the coin, I can see that um, and it's very difficult to have to hold back information for me um, because I am so much for being open. That's why we're doing this and we're sharing everything we can. Otherwise, we can't get anywhere with, um, with our research. So the more we all can share, the better. But there are limited circumstances where a person can't. Also, adoptees who feel uncomfortable revealing that they don't know their family trees. Sometimes that's a very sensitive subject for them, and it takes them a little bit of drawing out before they'll tell you that they're adopted. So if you have the time and the patience, then certainly stick with it, and some of these could really pay off. But um, as I've said, and Shannon has said, it depends how much time you have to invest. Right. Now, I mean, there's just several comments coming out, but I just want you just to go back for one second and explain what it means to share genomes and why is this important because this is something that comes up you send your invitation out this is especially for 23andme you send an invitation the person accepts the invitation you chat a little bit then you ask them to share their genome and they do not know what you're talking about 
<laughs> yeah, basically, it really isn't sharing genomes as much as it is comparing genomes. What that means is 23andMe system in the family inheritance and family inheritance advanced features will compare your genome and your matches genome and show which DNA segments you have in common. For genealogy, that is the core of sharing genomes. You can also look at your matches uh, ancestry composition and potentially identify the biogeographical origins of each segment that you share with a given match. Uh, that plus haplogroups can also be relatively informative. You get to see your matches haplogroups. That is the long and the short of it. You also get to match or rather compare your matches against your matches, which can be helpful too to understand whether they are matching on specific clusters and begin to triangulate in the way that you do on Family Tree DNA's Family Finder. So that, in a nutshell, is sharing genomes. Now, you, you just said something, and, and I want you to say it again, and it relates to you have matched, you can tell where the person matches you on the chromosome. And then you said something about comparing it on your ancestry composition. So let's take an example. If you match someone, let's say, on chromosome 5, and you know you have the, the three colors, of course, those who are 100% European, you will only see blue. If you have Native American and Asian, you'll have an, uh, the orange and another color. And if you're of African descent, you'll have the red. How would you know whether this person is matching you in any of those um, ethnic groups? Well, that is trickier for some people than it is for others. Uh, in the case where you can see that there is a small uh, spot of blue in a sea of red on both of your uh, ancestry composition displays, you can pretty much figure out that this must be a European segment that you share. Uh, but in many cases, it may not be so simple. There are third-party tools that you can use to uh, do a simpler comparison where you actually get a spreadsheet that shows uh, which of your segments are African and which of your segments are European and which of your segments are Native American or East Asian. Uh, but generally, it is a case-by-case -case, uh, when you're able to do this. Okay. Okay. Now, uh, Cece, you have mentioned adoptees. And this is an area I know that is very special to you. So what advice would you give to an adoptee who has chosen to use the autosomal DNA test to find their relatives? Well, first of all, I would recommend, if they can possibly afford it, to get in all three databases 
And with the prices coming down, that's much more doable than it used to be. It's about $269 to be in all three now because you can transfer into Family Tree DNA's Family Finder if you have tested with either 23andMe or Ancestry DNA for a reduced cost, so for 69 So if you do each of them separately, it would be 99 each. But if you transfer into Family Tree DNA, you'll save that $30. So that's the first thing I would say because by far the easiest way to solve an adoption case is if you get a close family match. And it's happening. It's happening a lot. And it's happening across companies. So you can't say that it's necessarily best to be in one over the other because you never know where your family, your birth family, has tested. There's just no way to know which database they might be in. And we're seeing it at all three, like I said. So if you can get in all three, that's my first recommendation. Um, if you have done that or you can't um, test it all three and you only have more distant matches, then you really need to follow the methodology that has been developed by the adoption DNA community. Um, Rob Warren, Karen Corbeil, Diane Harmon Ho, Patty Draver, they have all uh, helped to develop this amazing methodology that works for us as genealogists too. And you can find details about that on dnaadoption.com. There's a tab that says methodology. And it's really doing the spreadsheeting that we're talking about. Very important for adoptees since they can't look for specific surnames usually. Sometimes they might have some surnames from their paperwork, but often they do not. And even when they do, sometimes those are incorrect, false names. So they really need to do these methodologies where they're looking for patterns, they're looking for overlaps, they're looking for repeated uh, surnames, geographic regions, any, any hint that they can find in there. And there are plenty of hints in their match list. They just have to learn how to use them. Um, if they're really committed to this, they should join the DNA Adoption Yahoo mailing list, which there are search angels on there and experts answering questions all the time. Um, if this is somebody who uh, may not be adopted but doesn't know who their father is, which happens a lot, we have an unknown father's DNA uh, group as well. It's a little slower than the DNA adoption list um, but because it's newer, not quite as busy. And you can find links to both of those on my blog, um, adoptedDNA.com, or my regular blog, yourgeneticgenealogist.com. They're also on DNAadoption.com. So I would just say come join the community and learn everything you can about using your DNA because we're getting successes even from these more distant matches, but it takes a lot of work. That's right, even from a fourth cousin. <laughs> That's right. Bernice knows this. If you read my That's blog, right. Bernice helped her fourth cousin discover who her birth family was, which is Yes, amazing. and something that happened because of knowledge of genealogy and family members who were willing to connect. Right. Because we have, we, to have to, we have to have several things going on, but it, it does work. And when you're a genealogist like uh, Bernice and many of you out there that have really good traditional family trees built and you know your tree inside and out, you are so valuable to these adoptees, so incredibly Absolutely. valuable. Yes. So please well, we still help them if you can. Yes, absolutely. So any adoptees out there, I'm, I'm glad you're on the line. Please communicate with your matches. These people are your family yes. members, and they can help you. They can definitely help you. 
Now, I want to go yes. back to some questions coming out of the chat. What about folks who think they are a cousin match when they don't show up on their list? The connection is there, but the match is not there. And I'm trying to understand your question, but some people may think they're cousins and they're not cousins, but they send sharing requests. Anyway, what do you do with that? Oh, I often accept every genome sharing invitation that I receive. I don't really see a reason not to accept a genome sharing invitation because I can always learn something. Even if the person actually does not match me, I might be able to help them in some way. They might share a mutual uh, relative, and I can connect them to that person. Uh, so lots of people tend to share genomes just from or send invitations to share genomes from seeing common surnames uh, or common locations. I, for instance, sent out a genome sharing invitation to someone a few years ago just based on the surnames and locations, and we did not have a match. But then I had my father test, and they were sharing 0.44% on one segment which, as you know, is a pretty large segment. And we did, in fact, find a connection uh, later on down the road. So even though someone appears to not be a match or not be a relative just based on you not seeing them on your list at the moment, you never know what you might find out later. So I always yeah. say accept all the genome sharing invitations you get. Right. Now, what about those people who will download their data, put it on JetMatch, but not share? And I've, I've noticed some of that happening. Yes. Yes, I, I find that is happening more and more now, and I find it a bit peculiar. Uh, sometimes I get Facebook messages from individuals who say, yes, we're matching on JetMatch. And I think to myself, well, I know I've sent out invitations to all of my DNA relatives, so why didn't this person just share when I sent the invitation? Uh, I don't really have an explanation for that. I just kind of go with it because at least they're communicating now. I'm able to see how they are related to me, whether it's on my maternal side or my paternal side, and I just move forward with the conversation. Okay. Okay. And to, go ahead. Oh, I just wanted to point that at 23andMe, there's this strange phenomenon happening now where you might show up in somebody's match list and they don't show up in yours and vice versa. And I know that's not exactly what the question was about, but it reminded me to mention this. And it doesn't mean that they're not a match. And then if you accept the request, sometimes you'll see that you actually do share some DNA, but because of that 1,000 match limit there, you may have um, had more matches than that person did, and they've been bumped off of your list, yet you're still appearing on theirs. So it is causing confusion. So if that happens to you, uh, just know that that's, that's the explanation for it in most cases. Okay. Well, there's a, another question. Okay. So you have .44. Is that a large part of a segment? It's pretty I large. That, yeah, that's. I consider anything above uh, zero point forty percent 
uh, quite large uh, because they rarely pop up in my or my family's DNA relatives. And when I go to compare family trees and discover uh, how closely or how distantly they are related, it tends to be closer than I would have expected. Mm -hmm. uh, so, yes, uh, I see anything above 0.40% as a really strong indication of uh, a relatively close match. Uh, and that may yeah, be different for different people. You know, that's, around, that's over 30 centimorgans, so that's a nice, solid match. You share a relatively recent uh, relationship with that person. So it used to be if we saw a 0.44% match on our list, we were jumping up and down when the database was smaller. Um, for some people, that still may be one of their top matches. Right, right. Well, I need you all to do something. Please explain the X chromosome matches. If it's a male, explain what it means. If it's a female, explain what it means. So with a male... The male only gets his ex from his mom. So if you have an ex match with a male, you know it has to be on his mother's side. So that does help you. If it's between two females, since females get exes from their mom and their dad, it doesn't help you as much. Although the X chromosome does have a unique inheritance pattern where it can never go through two males. So you can uh, eliminate certain parts of your family trees as where your common ancestor lies. And on Blaine Bettinger's blog, he has some terrific X chromosome charts. And I know um, Debbie Wayne Parker just put on her blog, uh, she used his charts and made them into Excel spreadsheets. And you can uh, fill those out, and it will tell you which ancestors, which ancestral line you should be looking at and which you should not. So it wouldn't be from your father's father's line because your father didn't get an X from his father, for example. So her, that, those are very helpful, and I would use those if you have a good X match. Okay, great. Well, we have two questions about the X. Okay, Mira states she matched uh, on the X sometimes, and her brother doesn't. So what does that mean? Well, it would be nice if that meant that it is specifically from her father's ex, but it doesn't necessarily mean that because everybody gets a slightly different X chromosome from their mother because their mother's X chromosome that she passes to them is a combination of her two X chromosomes. So it recombines between her maternal X and her paternal X, and she gives it to you. So you might have a slightly different, you likely do have a slightly different X chromosome than your full sibling. So you might have a match on a segment of the X from your mother that he didn't get on his X chromosome from your mother. Therefore, you can't really reach the conclusion that it is on your father's X. I wish you could, but you can't. Okay. Okay. Then, oh, wow, there's a question about, okay. A brother just received his 23andMe results, and he sent an invitation to the sister. Now he's afraid that the insurance companies will data mine the results. Is this a true problem? No. Uh, <laughs> okay. All, no, what? <laughs> well, it's it is the law. against the law. Gina, 
which was passed by Bush, um, protects you from uh, insurance companies using genetic data against you. However, it doesn't cover disability insurance and long-term insurance. California has passed a bill that makes all of that illegal. You cannot, um, you cannot use someone's genetic information against them. They've added it to that list of things you cannot uh, uh, discri discriminate against a person for. All the other states need to follow suit on that, in my opinion. However, um, there's no way the insurance company is going to get your data from these private companies with your identifying info attached, certainly. I mean, 23andMe may share uh, aggregated data with insurance companies, but it would never, ever be attached to your name or your identifying uh, um, information. So I, I don't believe it is a real concern. Okay, I have some confusion here. And we just need to get some clarification. It's back to the good old X chromosome. So if the mother's X chromosome comes from both her X's, that is she's pulling the X from her father's mother and the mother's mother, is this what we're looking at for a female who matches on the X chromosome? It's not just the mother's mother. It would be the right. mother's parents because she gets an X from each parent. Right. I would uh, recommend consulting the charts that uh, Cece mentioned earlier. Uh, I think that puts it in the simplest form there is. Uh, I know that when I first received my uh, DNA results from 23andMe, the X chromosome charts made things much easier for me to interpret and analyze. So I would encourage uh, someone to move forward with getting those charts and utilizing them in order to get the answers they seek. I totally agree. A visual representation of the inheritance pattern is so much easier to understand than for us trying to talk about it on you know, a radio show. It's oh, really yeah. challenging to do that. So I totally second that. Go to Blaine's oh. blog, thegeneticgenealogist.com, or um, Google Debbie Parker Wayne's blog. I think it's uh, Deb Delving. But anyway, Google it and X chromosome charts, and you'll find it. Okay, so that means everybody who's listening, you're going to do that, get the chart, and then try to see if you can figure it out if you have uh, matches on your X chromosome. Well, we're getting close to the end of the show. I don't see any more questions coming out huh? from anyone. So, do you all? Do you two have any parting remarks? Any 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 gems that we should be aware of that's coming down the pike for any of the three companies? Well, well keep your eyes all... open. <laughs> Go ahead, Shannon. Going to say, keep your eyes open for any new changes. I, a lot of times they happen before we even think about them. Uh, I know that 23andMe just announced that they are doing an African ancestry project, which is targeting uh, people of African descent, continental African descent living uh, in the United States. So these are actual uh, Africans who have immigrated to the United States within a recent time frame. Uh, and that will be very helpful to uh, letting African Americans get a sense of where their ancestors came from once we start getting 
lots of Native Africans into the database. Uh, and 23andMe also is doing a similar project with uh, Reaching Out Ireland where you will see more and more uh, natives of Ireland in the database and get a greater sense of where in Ireland your Irish ancestors may have come from. Uh, I also know that uh, Ancestry DNA, as CC mentioned earlier, is planning on uh, transitioning from uh, calculating matching DNA segment data in megabases into centimorgans, and that will make for a richer analysis uh, in due time. Uh, so, yeah, there are lots of great things happening. Okay. And CC? Yes, yeah, I know Family Tree DNA will have some announcements coming up at the conference at the beginning of November, so that's less than two weeks away. I'm sure we'll have some interesting news from them on updates. Also, since they have um, acquired our PEGI, they have a lot of new staff and new resources, so I think that we can be sure that there's going to be a lot of great new features coming from them and possibly even new types of tests. 23andMe will be updating their ancestry composition very, very soon. Um, Ancestry DNA, now that they've got their updated ethnicity estimates out of the way, I think um, we can also expect to see some new features coming from them. I think a lot of their resources were probably focused on that for quite a while, and that may have limited new features. But I know they have many, many other things that they're interested in introducing to all of us. So it's going to be really exciting. I think the next year or so we'll see lots and lots of new features that will help us with this research immensely. I know one of the things that so many of us want is for the companies to report those overlaps for us where they say this whole group of people matches you on the same segment, so you, know, you should all communicate if you can figure out a common ancestor. And even to take that one step further where they may be able to start identifying those ancestors for us. And I'm not saying just one by one like Ancestry DNA is doing currently, but if they are able to identify a whole cluster and say, hey, you know, four of ten people in this cluster have this ancestral line, then that will help us so much and we'll be able to do so much more with our autosomal DNA research. And I know that that's coming um, from right. probably all of these eventually. And, and then there's a question, I mean, just a comment. Any recommendations for upgrading your Y and mtDNA tests beyond the basis, basic test for haplogroup signatures? I think it matters very much on what you have right now. Um, as far as for matching, hence, do you have any matching? Do you need to go to a higher resolution in order to see which of those matches are more significant? And for haplogroups, uh, it depends how interested you are. If you have kind of a unique haplogroup signature and you want to uh, do more research into that, then I totally recommend that you do it. I have found some very interesting things researching some of these um, celebrities and also on Genealogy Roadshow, looking at some of their haplogroups in more detail. So there is really interesting things to be found, and we are getting greater geographic specificity for many of those subclades than we ever have before. Um, so, yeah, I would recommend doing it if you're uh, very invested in DNA testing, like many of us are, then you certainly, um, it might be worth the money. If you're a newbie, then I probably wouldn't uh, recommend that course of action at this point. At um, this and I also point. wanted to mention back to the X chromosome. So I typed it in the chat. Uh, Debbie Parker Wayne's blog is Deb's Delving. 
and I know not everyone's on the chat, so I just wanted to repeat that. That's debsdelvines.blogspot.com, and her last blog was on the FDNA. Okay. Well, this I'm just so happy that you two have taken the time today to share this information with us. And I just want to tell everyone we're st- the the November lineup is already posted on Facebook, and next week uh, it's actually my anniversary show. The November seventh uh, show is my second year anniversary show, and my guest is author, genealogist, community activist, television and Blog Talk Radio Show host Antoinette Harrell. And she will discuss her uh, dedication uh, to family, family preservation preservation of records, uh, genealogical research, research and social justice. justice. So please join me next week for this show. Uh, Thank you so much for tuning in today. This is your host, Bernice Alexander Bennett, and I just want to thank C.C. Moore and Shannon Christmas. And remember, everyone, your ancestors left footprints, even in your DNA. Remember, DNA does not lie. Therefore, you should follow the clues that are presented to you through oral history, family records, research at the uh, National Archives and Beyond. Thank you for joining Research at the National Archives and Beyond. Remember to listen to the African Roots podcast uh, next Friday and the Antoinette Harrell show, and I look forward to you joining me next week. Well, good night, everyone. Excuse me. Good day, everyone. Have a wonderful day. (laughs) And remember, this is a podcast, so you can listen later. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye. Thank you. Lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.